I've brought on Matt Angelavell, uh, who has been a Christian for almost 37 years, baptized in campus ministry. He has served in secular ministry roles in Boston, Los Angeles, Atlanta, and Denver. He's been around a long time. He was part of the mission team to Amman, Jordan, in 1990. And then in 1999, he, along with his wife, Sandy, and two kids moved to Kuwait to start the church. He led the church for seven years while holding a full-time job. He has worked in the supply chain space for over 30 years. He has been married to Sandy for almost 29 years, and they have three adult children, including their son-in-law. They have served as shepherds for the campus ministry and young professional young professionals for many years. Matt, welcome to the channel, my brother. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. I'm real excited. I, I'm really excited about having you on. We have been in dialogue for quite some time yeah. uh, about for almost it feels like a couple months. And so I've really been anticipating our time that we're going to have together. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it's an honor to be here with you. Absolutely. Okay, so the reason why I've had Matt on today is that he wrote a study series that uh, uh, there was a friend of a friend who actually introduced him to me and I started going through it and I thought, this this is meeting a need. This is speaking to something that we have left out of the equation, and it's a major factor. And I'm going to spoil just for a moment. It's it's the Holy Spirit. I think there's really been an under teaching of the Holy Spirit. But this drawing near to God series is something that I had a chance to go through, and I thought I I have to put this on my channel. I want to make sure that people have something that is giving them a path towards God and towards transformation, not just deconstructing things all the time. People actually needed something that helped them to put things together in a healthy way. So that's why I have you on today. But you've written a study series called Drawing Near to God. What made you create this study, Matt? So if I would went to look back, I think it was about seven or eight years ago that um, I, um, you know, I was confronting, um, you know, some challenges in my life. Um, when I first studied the Bible, one of the things that I really had to come to terms with was my anger. Hmm. And then, you know, I, I, you know, from then I uh, was on the campus, then went into the singles, got married. And even though it remained dormant for a while, you know, the anger came back when, you know, I had people very close to me, emotionally connected with me. And I went through the whole gambit of things that we go through today. I went to D groups. I was being discipled by an elder in the church. Um, I went to therapy, um, a, a Christian therapist to learn about, uh, you know, how to deal with my anger. And then it all about eight years ago, I, it all came. It was a really low point in my life um, because it was affecting the people around me. My anger was affecting the people around me. And when I saw that, I, I really cried out to God. And I, and I really am grateful for two brothers who stepped in and, and helped me see some things. One of the things that one of the brothers especially helped me to see was, you know, that God was not disappointed with me. Mm. So for a long time, I, I knew God loved me. I, that was that was a no-brainer. But the fact that God was not disappointed with me, because if I'm if God is going to be disappointed with me, me then His love is not unconditional. Mm. It would be based on my on how I respond. And that was a book that I read then called by. David G. Benner called Surrender to Love that really had an impact on me. And, and I really cried out to God. You know, I was, you know, that, that has a lot to do with how God also wants to transform you. Was I really cried out to God and said, God, I want to feel your love. Mm. I want to experience your love. And that was then when I saw the transformation started to happen. Something that nothing else could do, everything else that I tried, God brought about the transformation with my anger. Um, 
about eight years ago. That was that was one. The other thing that I I came across, you know, I've been I've been really fortunate. I've been really blessed, you know, to host Bible talks and lead devotionals and do one-on-one -on -one studies with people. I always felt that when I was doing these studies was there would be these holes in their understanding of who God is, just like hmm. me. And I'm like, okay, but it's this, this, and this. And I go, why is it that they didn't know that before? Or why is it that it was not taught? And so those were the things that caused me to go back and, and, um, and really look back and see, hey, are there things that we're not teaching or really showing to people what they need to know about God? Hmm. Well, what makes it different? I mean, look, when I think of a Bible study series, the thing I think of is just that initial formation of here's where you're at and here's where God is and here's how to be with him. Your sin is an issue and your sin's been paid for, but there's this thing called repentance and we swear allegiance to Christ and we get baptized and then there's the teach him to obey everything. And then there's this, this process that we're told is going to be called discipleship, which is we're going to become more and more like Christ. Um, and so there is a study series that takes care of all that, a catechism, if you will, that does that. But there's something about what you're doing that, that, that kind of fills in maybe where that lacks a little bit. What makes what you're doing and talking about different from the, the standard that a lot of folks are used to? So uh, if I could boil it down, I would say there are four things that stand out to me. You know, hmm. one is that the redemptive nature of God. Hmm. God is all about redeeming us. You know, one of the studies in there is about from creation to new creation. God has always intended to, from the time we left the Garden of Eden, God is always thinking about bringing us back. Everything that he does, you know, all his plans are around bringing us back. God is all about redeeming us. And that is that is very important because if we don't understand that peace that God wants to redeem us, you know, it, it'll be all about do's and don'ts that God has for us. And, you know, one of the things I, I love to share this is, you know, go ahead and Google about the Assyrian Empire. Hmm. And how brutal and ruthless they were. They would cut off limbs and you know hands and and feet of of their of the people that they captured. But think about Jonah. Jonah goes into the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, and says, "In forty days, if you don't repent, you know God will take this down." Mm -hmm. What does the king do? He steps down, steps into sackcloth and ashes. And decides to repent. Did God say, well, I'm not sure about your repentance. Uh, I'm not sure I trust you. No, mm. God relented. God wanted to redeem even Assyria. And we don't realize that that's how God is. That God always is looking to, for a way. Even in the bleakest times, you go back and look at the prophets, you know, he says, oh, things are going to happen. You're going to get invaded. You're going to be captives. But I have hope for you. Always, constantly, that hope is being is being offered by God. Another area that is, is God is not doctrinal. He, he is relational. Hmm. It's not about do's and don'ts with God. It's about a relationship with God. It's everything is about, you know, Genesis 3, 8, you know, it, it says um, in the cool of the evening, you know, at, you know, God was walking in the garden and, you know, because he had done that before with Adam and Eve. So he knew that he was going to be doing that. And, and that's another study that I do is we talk about seeking God and, and or rather God seeking us because seeking God was, was, was the study that we are, many of us are familiar with. And God is constantly seeking us. Hmm. God is constantly looking out for us. He's constantly seeking us. That's who he is. You know what is one of the most quoted scripture in, uh, within the Bible itself? What's that? 
It's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and <laughs> in love and faithfulness. It's been quoted 27 times, I think, in the Bible. So every Jew understood that's who God is. You know, Micah quotes it, multiple prophets quote it. It's from um, Exodus. That's who God is. God is, you know, and we, we talk about love and we talk about the relationship uh, with the cross. But this love and this 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 nature of who God is was there long before, you know, even Jesus came to earth. Something to think about here. And then the third one is your sin, our sin does not define who we are. Oh. Our sin does not define who we are. Because, you know, it says in um, in 1 John 3, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us because we are his children. Hmm. So it had nothing to do with what we did or didn't do. It is about the love the Father has lavished, lavished, extravagant on us. And, and you know, one of the other uh, things that about, um, about love is, you know, you, you look at, again, this is another scripture that I, I included in this, is 1 Corinthians 13. Everything about God there, you know, love is patient, love is kind, always, you know, it's always uh, persevering. It is never self-seeking. It never fails. That's who God is. And, and we, we get to see that about God. You know, one of the things that, you know, Sandy and, uh, Sandy and I like to do is, you know, get up in the morning, have our coffee together. We sit and talk and talk about our thoughts. We talk about our feelings. We talk about our kids. We talk about different things. And... Yeah, sometimes we talk about, you know, you know, things that we did or didn't do or something. But God wants to have a relationship like that with us. Hmm. We don't get up in the morning and say, God, please, you know, keep me out of sin today. I'm not saying that to my wife. <laughs> please don't do the things that, that can cause me to sin today. <laughs> I'm not saying that. And God wants us to have the type of a conversation with him. What's on my mind? That's connectedness. You know, it's, it's, not a, it's not transactional. You know, it's, hey, what are you going to do for me today? <laughs> it's more conversational. It is mm. more connectedness that God wants from us. And, um, and then, you know, the other thing that, is, that really stands out is, I realized as I was learning all these things and I, and I was, you know, putting it down on paper and I realized, wow, how I communicate or how I teach to others can affect their thoughts, can affect their impressions of God is. And I didn't realize that till I started doing the series is that, wow, this can have an impact on them. And I, I realized that I need I, I need to be very careful on how I um, you know teach people because you know I hate to say this but you know guilty as charged I have I have taught earlier based on an agenda you know I have an agenda to see them make a decision to follow Christ mm -hmm. and so when I had that kind of an agenda then I'm working towards that. So at times I could even, you know, put a little heap, a little guilt on them even. Hmm. And, and see what I'm saying? And, and sometimes oh, absolutely. I can even shame them a little bit. I can try to evoke a, a, a emotional reaction from them. And then you, all of a sudden it's all driven because it's, there's an agenda behind it because I want them to make a decision. But what if I just showed them the gospel and nothing more, have no agenda behind it and let them make the decision to draw near to God, have nothing else that holds them. 
This feels unburdening. It feels restorative. It feels refreshing. And it also feels very risky because of how many of us were trained in terms of this is who God is. He is disappointed. And yet we see that in his relationship with the father, that the start, the father starts with pleasure in his relationship with his son. And I think as Christians, we start out with our primary identity remaining that of a sinner. And so we're constantly trying to evolve out of that and we will be a sinner till the day we die. That that nature will be there and present an opportunity to create obedience and trust and relationship and conversation. But our primary identity before God doesn't seem to be from what you're saying that of a sinner, but that of a saint. It's not that of a sinner, but that of a child. And so God's in this for relationship and that's his end game. That feels risky because many of us have, yes, we've developed a relationship with God, but there's a lot of pressure that has been coupled with that relationship. It's for some people felt very taxing because is God going to be pleased with me if I don't do the things that, you know, I'm supposed to do, will, will he love me? If I don't go and reach out and study the, will he feel that way about me? And we don't, we feel insecure. We feel like we don't know and God will be upset and he'll be displeased with us. And so I'm hearing something different from you. So it feels risky to believe that. Sure. Um, but let's look at David. A liar, a murderer, an adulterer. I mean, he was, look at all the sin that he had committed. You look, I think it's 2 Samuel 11, about the whole sin with Bathsheba. You know, we went through a Bible talk and did 17 different sins in that one chapter by David. <laughs> and yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Hmm. So is the sin what defined hmm. David? Or was it someone who followed God that defined who he was with God? Hmm. And you were a church leader. So it's not like th- this is part of, before we get our, our next question, a little bit of a qualifier. This isn't just someone who, you're not just someone who got an idea and you, you know, let's say you've been a member of a church, you've led churches, you've been the point man, you've been someone who was supposed to oversee growth and and in behavior, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of ministers uh, have to start really kind of managing behavior and really can't pursue transformation in people because the behavior is that that's the part that you've got to stay on track with. And so you were in the ministry, you know, all of that pressure. And yet this is where you've landed. How in the world in your relationship with the Lord did you get here? <laughs> well i think the failures have brought me here i have realized that the the work the effort and you know i am as you said i it's true i am a very detailed organized planner and i do that quite a bit i mean that's what i do for work and yet I have failed, you know, in, in from that perspective. And I've learned to cede control because every time I have tried to take over and tried to do it my way, I've seen myself fall flat on my head, face. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I have learned is to cede control to the Holy Spirit. And I, wow. It is... I mean, you go back and you look at um, the first century church. I mean, you look at, you know, Acts 1, where they are, you know, Jesus has been risen from the dead, and he is talking to them about many things about the kingdom. And then they're like, Oh, we're not sure. It says even in Matthew 20, some doubted. Some mm-hmm. people went back to their old professions. And, and 
and some of them said in Acts 1.8, he says, are you going to restore the kingdom? Mm. And Jesus said, no, that's not for you or me, but the Father will send you the Spirit, and the Spirit will lead you and guide you from Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we see the unleashing of the Holy Spirit starting in chapter 2. And you start, you st you'll, it should be renamed, you know, honestly, it, the book of Acts should be renamed the Acts of the Holy Spirit, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then in, in chapter 4, he's talking about, you know, giving them boldness to speak up to the, to the authorities. The Spirit is giving them boldness. Then he talks about in, um, in, Acts, uh, you know, in Acts 11, he says, yeah, I know you're speaking to the Gentiles, but they are also worthy of the kingdom of God. He says, and the mm. Spirit came on them. And he's, he, even they didn't know. Peter didn't know. And the Spirit made it obvious to them that they deserve to be part of the kingdom. And, and then in Acts 15, you know, the, one of the pivotal moments in the history of the church, the young church, this could be a division here with the Jews and the Gentiles. And it says there, you know, the Spirit helped them come to what should be a minimum requirement. You know, that they, they, were, they were asking of the... Uh, of the Gentile Christians. And so you, and so, and then it goes on, you know, in Acts 11, it says, set aside Paul and Barnabas for me for the work. So there was this orchestration by the spirit in the book of Acts. And we say that we want to be a New Testament. We want to model our churches like the, the first century church. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that the kind of reliance we have on the Holy Spirit that the first century church had? Wow. That is an amazing question. Yeah. Because in our primitive pursuits towards this very basic, I mean, primitivism is that, that call to New Testament Christianity. And right. the book of Acts becomes a reference manual of yeah. how to uh, reconstruct that. And so the whole point of the book of Acts is what the Holy Spirit was doing. And so the whole point of the church now is what the Holy Spirit is doing now. <laughs> and so the lead actor seems to consistently be the Holy Spirit. The lead evangelist seems to consistently be the Holy Spirit. And it feels like what your study series is going to do for people, for some people, is teach them that truth and for other people, help them to develop into that and, and then really kind of participate in a deeper transformation. You talk about how the way you teach can impact someone's thinking. I love this next part of the conversation we're about to get into. Can impact someone's thinking, perspectives, their worldviews. And so how do you see this playing out? So I'll give you a classic case, something that we teach. You know, we teach, you know, we do the Word of God study and we teach Hebrews 4 about Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Say, the word, is, word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow thought. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then it goes into verse 13. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And everything is uncovered and bare, laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. So we're talking about the word of God and how it can really get to who we are, get to the depths of who we are. Right. And, and, and really expose that. But then we get into the, the, the passage about, um, you know, or the next verses about, um, you know, omniscient, omnipresent nature of who God is, to whom we must give an account. For So we, we tend to stop there. But what if he kept on reading past that? Hmm. He says, then we don't have, we have a, a very sympathetic high priest 
who has been through everything that we have been through, he understands who we are. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. So if we stop at 13, you are giving a definite impression about who God is, this, this omniscient, omnipresent, we have to give an account of God. But if you keep reading that passage, we get a different nature of who God is, somebody who you know, <laughs> empathizes with us, somebody who, right. who you know, who's giving us that, that, that license to come before him, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And, and, and so it's up to us, you know, it's up, you know, it, and I, I say this because are we giving that impression to people? We have to ask ourselves, are we giving the, what impression of, G, of God are we giving to people? Is it that redemptive nature of who God is or a stern, more stern nature of who God is? So specifically when it comes to someone's thinking and perspectives, uh, I believe that our beliefs are world building. And, you know, you look in scripture and Jesus says, you make this new convert, essentially this new person, twice the son of hell that you are. And you do it because of your thinking. We see in Galatians, Paul opposes Peter, but he doesn't just oppose Peter. He starts with the Judaizers and he has some very strong <laughs> uh, rebukes for them because they're, they really want to pull people away from the grace. We look in Revelation 2, the church in Ephesus. Church in Ephesus, really high on perseverance and orthodoxy, kicking out false leaders. Jesus commends them for that twice, actually. Mm -hmm. But in the middle, he says, I have something against you. You've lost your first love. Now, when we look in Acts, speaking of Acts, in Acts 21, we see that Paul and the elders have this relationship that Paul is essentially having to tear himself away from this Ephesian community. And that is a community that's marked by love. We see in John 13, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love. That's the moniker. The reason why I'm saying this is in, a, in Revelation 2, their orthodoxy isn't necessarily the problem. It's the lack of love. And so Jesus says to them, I got something against you and it's a deal breaker. That love piece Okay, is the most important part in terms of your identity. Mm -hmm. And so even when we look at the, the church, right, the next church that he, he, he disciples, they've got some, some orthodoxy issues, but he talks about their love. And so it, it comes back to, it feels like what you're talking about, which is 613 commandments seem to hang on being able to love one another and being able to love God. And if you can't do that, then you fail at everything else. So if God is love and our ability to bear his image is based off of love, then what I'm hearing you say for this, what the scriptures say, but also in terms of just the nature of who he is, we have to start with the fact that he is a loving, patient. We see 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? Well, love is patient. It's kind. It's all these things. That is who God is. And so what I'm hearing you say we have to start with a God who is loving. We have to start with a God who is patient. We have to start with a God who is for us as human beings, that he would give everything to make us rich. He would make everything to make us a co-heir. Starting with that premise is a better way of thinking from what I hear you saying. You know, there is a, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is hesed. Yeah. And, you know, the scripture that I just quoted earlier, Exodus 34. He's saying, I heard somebody um, somebody um, say, you know, he, he paraphrased, he says, I will go through hell before I give you up. Whew. That's steadfast love. Wow. Wow. That is, that is who God is. That is how far God will go. And a lot of times, and I and I am I'm going to go on a limp here and say this, but sometimes there are these warnings for apostasy. Hmm. You know, he tells them some certain things about apostasy. If you leave me, there are some serious consequences that can go through. And we sometimes enter or use that, those scriptures to talk to Christians who are hmm. faithful 
and who are going through, you know, who are going through some serious sin in their lives. They are not in danger of apostasy. They are trying to stay faithful. They are trying to do their life. They are definitely, they are in sin and it needs to be addressed. But we're not giving them the right impression of who God is by bringing up scriptures on apostasy to them. Wow. We've got to be careful what we say to people. And, and I hate to say this, I have done that myself. Guilty as charged for doing that, you know, and, and because of my lack of understanding on certain things. And we just got to be careful that we're always holding out hope for people that things will be different. Always. Because that's how God is. Well, it's interesting. I let's say that. So, is like let me bring psychology in for a moment. We all have these what's called dominant mental models. These are kind of like our templates for how we think of the world. And let's say someone has a framework inside of them that that they have this profile that is it airs towards uh, justice and judgment, right? Uh, justice and judgment are something that God does perfectly. Okay. But let's just say they start with that, that I am a sinner and every day I'm kind of in this perspective of, I've got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling Philippians two, 12 and 13, essentially. And what's interesting, I find Matt, people don't ever seem to finish that scripture. If you finish that scripture, where's that? Yes. So fine. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For if you're listening to this right now, this this is a this is a teaching moment, and I am not going to pass it up. Do you know the rest of that scripture? Yes. We we use that part. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then it says, "For it is God who what works in you to will and act according to His good purpose." Finish the scripture, and I think some of our mental models are maintained or sustained. Because we don't finish the scripture for some reason. And and, and again, it's it's in passing, it's in a sermon that people don't finish it. And it, it that's kind of, in my mind, where it starts. Finish the scripture. Yes, work out yourself. And in Paul's context in Philippi there is, okay, you've obeyed me in my presence, also obey in my absence, okay? Uh, bring this work that God is doing in you to, to, to completion and maturity is what he's saying. And do that with reverence and awe. Because the very God who is going to complete this in you has been working in all creation since the beginning. You're a part of that now. You've yeah. been reconciled into your God-ordained destiny. What an honor. <laughs> Reverence to that, right? I'm going to dedicate myself. So, But it doesn't start with this. I mean, we're in. I mean, so for a moment, there are those listening who may have salvation at OCD. Um, that's a real thing where you yeah. just never really feel secure in, as a son or a daughter. And so just for a moment, what, what kind of insecure thinking have you noticed has been developed in people when it comes to some of this stuff? Because people are deeply insecure about where God, how God feels about them, Matt. Yes. Yes. Um, and again, it comes back to, I mean, a very similar scripture to what he just quoted in Philippians 2 is Second Peter 1. We teach from verses 5 through 8, and we say that, and... Um, you know, add to your qualities, increasing, you know, uh, make every effort uh, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your goodness, uh, to your faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it will keep you from being unproductive and effective. So now you've got to make every effort. Hmm. <laughs> it says there that, and, and is, there's a, a list of, of qualities that you're called to do. But what we have, and again, to my chagrin, again, guilty as charged. And I've heard this multiple times, so I'm not alone. We forget to look at verses, for what does for this very reason mean? The first phrase there in verse 5. So you go back two scriptures up, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. 
So when I am trying to make every effort, it's based on that divine power that he has given me. It's not on my own. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. That, and so if I teach five through eight, it's a do-it-yourself Christianity. <laughs> but if I teach three through eight, it's right. God-given Christianity. Okay, so this is a great point for us to now um, talk through the overview of your series. And let's just say for a moment, the beginning of this is I, the intro was that the goal is transformation, that we are going to be as he is. And he it means Jesus. One day he's going to, he's going to complete the transformation and we will be glorified. In the meantime, we are to become more and more like him in character. And I think sometimes what can happen is we feel these, you know, imperatives from the church or our leader or our ministry or these efforts to, to go and grow, which is important. But sometimes if, if you're not careful, you can miss, you can miss transformation in the name of growth. And so what I feel like all of that has to do with is the Holy Spirit. And I feel like what your study series does is for some people, uh, they are going to come into a new partnership with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a birth of something beautiful in their partnership. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's give you, I want to give you the mic and the floor. Give us an overview of your study series. Um, so uh, what I did is I broke up the study series, the overview. Uh, I broke it up into two sections. One, the first section is called the tapestry. Um, and it's all about God. And um, and I just wanted people to know who God is. If I'm going to spend, if I'm going to trust this being, i.e. God, with the rest of my life, mm. I want to know everything I can about God. So I can make this decision, you know. And so I go through that first part is all about God. And I, recently I, I studied with somebody as a young professional who was, you know, who's not doing well. And he got, you know, initially um, converted in the teen ministry and then went through the campus. And I was studying with him about, you know, going through the studies. And he said to me, he said, Matt, I'm not ready to make a decision point about the study. And I said, I don't want you to make a decision about the study. I just want you to bask in the nature of who God is. Enjoy it because that's who God is. I just want you to enjoy God. I don't want you to make any decision points about, mm. about, about the study. And, and so that was like a kind of like, a, whoa, what, what are you saying, Matt? He said, no, I just want you to enjoy God. <laughs> I really want you to enjoy God. And I and that was all about it. And you know, it, it is all about, you know, um made in the nature of God, you know, in the image and likeness of God. It talks about, you know, as I said earlier, from creation to new creation, talking about how God loves us, God seeking us. And then and then it, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, and the, the first part of which is called tapestry, and then the second part is called the invitation. Mm. And I, and I say it in the introduction of the invitation. I said, invitation is, you know, you feel privileged when you get an invitation for a wedding or for a party. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something you, somebody considered you worthy enough to be invited to it. But at the same time, you can either accept or decline that invitation. And I wanted people to know up front, you can either accept that or decline that invitation. So it takes away this, this pressure of, you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to make these, you know, decide what I have to do. No, you can easily decline that invitation. I don't know when this person is going to make a decision for God, but I've got to leave it up to them without any kind of tactics to get them to make the decision for themselves. Mm. So, whoa, this is countercultural. First of all, I'm hearing a couple, I got to make sure I'm hearing this right. A, 
you're not calling people to make a decision on, you know, whether or not they're going to swear their allegiance to Christ before you've taken the time to really give them an adequate understanding of who God is, his nature, his being. And you feel confident enough in God's word and God's spirit to paint this picture for them instead of just give them the quick and dirty. <laughs> and what you going to do? Uh, if you die right now, you're going to go to hell. You know that, right? Uh, uh, I mean, time's ticking. I mean, if you get hit by a car after this, you, you know it's a wrap, right, kid? I mean, like, do, are you willing to take that chance? You just said tactics a moment ago. And when I think about the different revivals, you know, the tent meetings in the 1800s and so forth, that revival-based decision sort of theology of right here, right now, man, let's go. What you going to do? It sounds like to me that, <laughs> I mean, God works in all those things. Exactly. But but when I look in the scriptures, I, 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 I go through Mark over and over this year. When I look in Mark, you know what I see is basically what you just said. Jesus takes his time, goes to village to village, and he builds a reputation, and he uses parables, and he invites. It's it's very invitation-esque. I like when you talk about invitation. He invites people, and then he feeds them, and he heals them. He's with them. His presence is the point. And it's a God who, who, who creates sanctuary with people. And then invites him into that. And so it's just interesting as you're talking, I I don't hear Jesus calling people to these sort of, you got to make a decision right now. He's going to be preaching in a week and you can come see him again then if you want to. I, I just, I love what you're saying. It, feel, it feels kind of intuitive though, Matt. It is. It, it really is. I, I just think, I, I think the reason is because we, do not want to cede control. I hate to mm. say that, but we think that it's up to us to see this person converted. Absolutely. I mean, there, Act John 16, verse 8 says, the spirit will come into this world and convict the world of its sin. I gave up trying to convict the person I'm studying with about sin. I don't. I don't. It's this is this I'm you know every every study I do I invite the Holy Spirit to come in and be part of that study. So if the Holy Spirit is going to be there don't you think it is his job to make that done rather than mine? Well, this is very different because um, what you're doing is you're giving people an under... Like, so when I think of Matthew 5 and, and on, the Beatitudes, Jesus gives the people a new understanding of the Torah in that section specifically. Right. Like You've heard it said, but here's what I say. And here's how the kingdom really works. And he paints a picture for them. He teaches the people. And... Again, he, he gives them a description of who God is. We see in John, John makes things very explicit um, and just says, oh, this is who God is. And I was there and I know, and I'm the father's exegete. Like, I'm going to let you know. And it feels like what you're saying is, is you're this, the, the going back to control, you feel like what's happened in study series is that we've unseated the spirit, okay, from the ultimate person who knows this person's conscience, right? We've unseated the spirit from that vocation, that important place, and we now step in and try to create a tone. We bring our energy. We try to convince. We try to move this person to a decision. And what you're saying is, is we need to allow God's spirit to use the scriptures to do that work. And we need to support this person and keep inviting them into that. That, that feels so different because... As you had mentioned tactics earlier, it feels like our job is to warn them. It's to, I mean, that's the form of love that we are most probably comfortable with at this point is if I'm, I, if I'm not warning you, I'm not loving you. Well, and I would say, aren't there other ways to love people than just only warn them? <laughs> and so anyway, it just feels like what you're saying for some people, I think it's going to be a bit triggering, Matt. It is, unfortunately, and... 
And I think it's because we're used to a certain way of doing things. And, you know, even when seven, eight years ago, when I started doing things differently, I was like, is this going to work? <laughs> is this going to work? <laughs> I only know the previous way of doing things. Is this going to work? And I saw God work multiple times. You know, I um, I had this, this um, I was studying with this one person and, and you know, um, I you know, if, I don't know if you've seen the the sin um, study, sin everything, even you know the, oh, yes. the invitation piece is also very relational, and so even sin is spoken from a you know turning back from God. So it's it's about a relational thing that we do when we sin. So I I taught it I taught sin the way that you know I had written. And I didn't see a reaction from him. And I go, I went away and I said, should I go back to the old way of doing it? <laughs> <laughs> because I was, that was easier to fall back on. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to pray about it. I said, God, I want him to see his sin. And you know his heart better than anyone here. And I want you to show it to him what he needs to see about you. And I went back and he, and I did it, you know, with the study series and he got it. Okay. Let me, I got to make sure I'm getting this straight. Okay. So when it comes to your study series and this kind of goes into our next question, what you're really doing is you're helping people to understand how the Holy Spirit fits into it. When I think about the study series, I don't remember hearing much about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really comes up as it relates to baptism. Like you're going to get the Holy Spirit when you get baptized and then the Holy Spirit's going to kind of just be there as a comforter. But in terms of a real active guiding evangelist, um, someone who's going to lead us like Philip was led into a wilderness and do weird things. Like it just feels like your, your, your study series brings the Holy Spirit into the front as the lead actor. And it's in a very complete way. Like you have taken the painstaking time to do this. And so I put here, this is by far your uh, first complete study about the Holy Spirit in a series. Um, what were your thoughts about including that? And so again, paint for people a contrast. Here's the how we typically study. And as you go through very painstakingly, like it's a very robust, like you, you really did a good job. You did a phenomenal job, but but what do you what what do you feel like the spirit is calling people to in the way that you're calling people to study the Bible? So uh, again, we got to go back and look at at certain things, you know, biblically. And so in okay. John fourteen, um, you know, Jesus tells them, "I'm going away. I'm going away." You can, you know, and they're like, well, "Where are you going? I'm going to the Father." Well, can you show us a point as where you're going to the Father? And you know, there's a there's a little bit of angst that the disciples are feeling about Jesus leaving. Mm -hmm. And he says, I won't leave you as orphans. But then look at, look at the theme in, in um, chapter 15, the next chapter. He says, remain in me. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. You said you're leaving. And now you're telling me to remain in you. How do I do that? <laughs> so what you see in that in that chapter there is there is a transition from the rabbinical discipling to Holy Spirit discipling. Wow. In John 14, 26, and you know, it, it kind of goes in line with Matthew 28 and it says the Holy Spirit will remind you and teach you everything what I have taught you. So when we teach you know, Matthew 28, we should be ref re referencing this scripture also because the Holy Spirit is going to be coming along with us when we make disciples and when we teach Absolutely. Jesus. So it, it goes to show that, you know, that there was this, 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 this spiritual formation that was going to happen. And unfortunately, you know, discipling has gotten a really bad rap in, you know, in many circles. Um, including, you know, in, in our fellowship. But what 
we have not stressed enough in discipleship is to be made to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what spiritual formation is about. That's what you get into discipling about, to be made into that image and likeness of who Jesus is. And, and um, you know, I, I, I know you heard this from me before, but I have this from the minute you get saved, you know, you get baptized till you close your eyes. The Holy Spirit is your first and foremost discipler. Mm. Wow. All other discipling relationships will come and go, but the Holy Spirit remains with you right to the very end. And that's why you have to go back and say, is that how I look at spiritual formation in my life? Is the Holy Spirit directing me? Or is my first thought, oh, let me go talk to so-and-so. Or am I talking to the Spirit first and sharing, hey, these are this is what I really want to grow. This is what I want to change. And, and if, if we don't share that or if, you know, that's where that's where the, the Holy Spirit's role, you know, becomes more and more clear. You know, the word um, um, paraclete, you know, pneuma was used in Greek, uh, but the word paraclete is only used in the Gospel of John. And, um, you know, I've got a, 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 a quote here. It says paraclete was someone who came alongside people and defended them who protected them in times of trouble. Hmm. He was someone who came alongside the weak to give them strength and courage, especially in the context of being persecuted. Hmm. So Paraclete was a comforter, and Paraclete was also an advocate. Yeah. And that's the role. And you know, John's Gospel is written much later on. And so... They had already gone through persecution, and they understood very well that that paraclete was with them during those times, giving them comfort, standing up for them in 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 those really really you know trying situations, you know. And, and one of the things I really want to challenge is is a misconception that people have about the Holy Spirit. He says, "Well, you know what? I got baptized. I got the Holy Spirit with me. I'm good. I'm really good." And, you know, everything I do is based on the Holy Spirit. Really? You know, and that's the case. How can you quench the Spirit? How can you grieve the Spirit? Mm. How can you test the Spirit? How can you be res resistant to the Spirit? That's because the, we have free will. We don't have to obey or listen to the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I see that, 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 Thinking is there a lot of times, and, and we really got to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. It's not, you know, it's not automatic. Just because you have the Spirit, we have free will. He's not going to intervene in our free will and do something. He's going to let us do unless we invite him. Hmm. And that's when we, you know... Uh, the other part of it is, you know, seeding control, giving the spirit. And the scripture that comes to my mind is 2 Corinthians 3.18. You know, the, the passage about, you know, the, the whole passage is about, you know, the veil being lifted because, and it would glow because he had been with God. Moses is, is talking about Moses. He's saying that we, since the spirit is living in us, we should be glowing all the time. Hmm. And then he says... That transformation comes from the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3.18 says that transformation comes from the Spirit. It is not your quiet time. It is not your church attendance. <laughs> it is not your discipling relationship. It is none of that. It's the Spirit that brings about the transformation. So then the question is, do I know the magnitude? No. Do I know the timing? No. So think about it. And you were also, I think you were in the campus ministry, you know, and, and we heard that, and you know, 
over the years is what are you going to change today or this week you know we have a lesson on a sunday or something what are you going to change this week really it is up to me to make that change or is it up to the holy spirit to make that change i want to be a participant in that but i cannot decide that this is how much excuse me holy spirit i want to change this to this week that's hmm. we're we're not we are it becomes a little bit of a do it yourself christianity when we do that when we give these i'm not i'm not saying we shouldn't make the effort but is it are we trying to earn it by what we are doing oh Wow. I, I feel like uh, there's so many themes that you just hit on. And I just looked up 2 Corinthians 3.18 for myself. And I'm like, oh, he's, he's right. <laughs> uh, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Um, many things that you're talking about. Um, first of all is this. I do think that there's a lot of individualism that gets imported into our evangelism, but our discipleship. Discipleship kind of becomes about will, about behavior. And then we get misled because we think behavior is representative of transformation. Actually, it's not always representative of transformation. I have found that in my life, there's certain certain things I change in terms of behavior, but if I don't change them in terms of identity, like if my identity doesn't receive an overhaul, my behaviors do not consistently remain changed. Right. In other words, it's who I am that sets the tone for what I do. So the other issue is, is that the Holy Spirit to me is very powerful when it comes to a core human need of belonging. When you look at the, the research, belonging actually comes before behavior. And what I like about what you're talking about is, is you're focused on a God who made us and who wants us, who craves to be with us. And not just individually, but collectively, but also individually, both ways. And he craves that, but there's there's this sense that we belong. And I think without really starting to stress, emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit, some people will never feel that belonging. They'll never feel it. And especially with kids, it's important because, I mean, especially when it comes to kids, belonging very much in terms of the data comes before behavior. And, And again, it's kind of this idea of like, well, when did the Holy Spirit start working in our lives? I think this is something also that needs to be retaught. The Holy Spirit has been working. I like that you talked about the Holy Spirit will be our consistent discipler throughout our whole life. The Holy Spirit has been involved in our lives since before we were born. But if we just want to say within our lives, the Holy Spirit has been working on us our entire lives. And to your point, when we're studying with someone, here's what might be a beautiful way to kind of actually teach people is, hey, listen, you know, you're you're not ready to make a decision to follow Christ. I respect that. I understand that. But here's a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit has been preparing you for this moment your entire life. He's been involved in all the details. He knows your story. Yep. And he's he's never left you and and wants to wants to reside in you, wants to take you know, residence in you and a true partnership so you can so you can be a part of that that inheritance that's coming. The point is is maybe we should start describing the Holy Spirit's activity in the lives of the people that are studying the Bible, who maybe never have thought that he's been involved. Maybe our role as witnesses is partly to help people to understand his activity throughout their lives. Not just, okay, here's the carrot. All right, got to go through the studies. I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying that people are trying to do it this way, but here's here's the carrot. You're only going to get the Holy Spirit if you go through the studies and get baptized and then we'll give it to you. Uh, no, it's not going to come from us. It comes from Jesus, number one. But number two, this is where I think in like Acts, um, you know, nine and 10 with Cornelius's household, you know, the Holy Spirit is not someone we can domesticate. <laughs> He's going to work. <laughs> 
before someone gets baptized. He's going to work. He's been working. So is, is there an opportunity for us there, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I changed my whole way of teaching people. Um, I've, I've changed, um, you know, I talk about, and especially when they've come from a Christian background, I tell them, I, I tell them, wow, God has already been working in you over this time and getting you to see some things. I'm not going to diss what they learned or, or what they have, you know, and say anybody who has gone through that, that you know, any kind of a, a Christian teaching or education or anything, God has been working. You know, I love this, this passage in, uh, in Genesis 5 and he's talking about the image. He says, he's talking about the genealogy of, of, uh, of Adam. He says, and God made Adam in his image and likeness. And then he talks about, and then, and then God made, no, and then Adam had said in his image and likeness. So what is he saying? That <laughs> the image and likeness of God was, was transferred from Adam to Seth. Hmm. And, and so right from, to your point, right from birth, Wow. This, this God, God has been working on us. God is trying, putting everything in pieces together to get us to, to get to see who he is. And it just gets to see, you know, I, I, I'm always blown away at what, how far God will go to get, try to get our attention. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Wow. Yes, and it's convicting that you say that because to your point about quenching or resisting the spirit, the lengths that he may have to go to may at times uh, create a sense of uh, unraveling in our lives. You know, it's interesting you say this. I, I just love it. You're so easy to talk to. This is so good. I, this ministers to me. This I, this is like butter. Um, recently, I've had this um, understanding of God's love in a different way. And it's that, that God is going to protect his investment. Mm -hmm. In other words, you were talking about apostasy. That is not something that happens lightly. Number one, uh, number two, sometimes there are things going on in our lives that are reflective of God protecting his investment. In other words, sometimes there's this crisis that pops up in our life or whatever may have you. And it's not just, I think some of us, part of the anxiety, Matt, is is if I don't stay, not vigilant, but hyper-vigilant, if I don't become paranoid as a Christian and then become superstitious, then I'm going to I'm gonna somehow miss it. I'm going to miss my inheritance. I'm, I'm going to fall away. And, 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 and I think that what we have to really trust is that the Holy Spirit has never failed at getting people to their ultimate end point. Jesus has never failed in delivering uh, in terms of getting us across the finish line. It, it, he's not going to fail. Um, we have to radically pull ourselves away and out of pocket. Like it's, a, it's an aggressive thing. And I get there's a slow fade. I'm not trying to say there isn't that. But I think at some point maybe we have to trust the Holy Spirit to get, get us across the finish line. I, I also think part of the reason why we get paranoid is because it's not the relation. It is not relational. Our thing with hmm. God. When you when you when you consider it being relational and personal with God, do you do you get paranoid about a relationship? Unless it's you know unless it's gone all right. You, a relationship is something that you cultivate. If if it's all about do's and don'ts, that's when you get paranoid about. If, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? And none of those, you know, metaphors even have anything to do with God. And hmm. I just, it just, it's so much is about relational nature. And again, David comes up again and again. <laughs> it's not our sin. It's not who, it's a relationship. God is not consumed. And, I, and I, I, I'm, someone's going to throw a stone at me about this. God is not consumed about our sin. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It's hmm. No, he isn't. 
Well, he. Well, I what I hear you. Well, what I hear you saying is, is that he took care of perfection so we could focus on the relationship. Right. And it's and it's also he is he's. It's about a relationship. In a relationship, there's going to be ups and downs. There's, I I sin against my wife. You know, when I when I apologize to her, she is more than gracious to forgive me for. Why wouldn't God, the epitome of love? Well, you've used this study series to study the Bible with others. Um, I I really am fascinated to know what's been the response that you've gotten. You know, it's interesting is that the people who have been interested in the studies are parents who's, who were raised in the church and who did not want to go through what they went through. I think that says something. Yep. And, and they want something different. And I still remember one mom, she left me, a, I think I shared that with you, one of the voicemails. She said, Matt, one of the, my favorite things about your study is that when we talk about sin, they said, at the end, I mean, I've got meditations and, and you know, books to read, thoughts, you know, a lot of things in, in, in each of the studies. But one of the things she said is, at the end of the sin study, you said, you write down your sin and take it to the father in the prodigal son story. Mm. And watch the father give you a hug and give you a robe and a ring. Oh, when you do that, my brother, because it takes away the guilt shaming about your sin or anything. That's that's who our God is. Oh, brother, I I could keep going on and on. We have gone way longer than I thought, but it was so good, <laughs> and I feel so blessed. And I just want to say this very very briefly. How can we get in touch with your uh, your your study? What do we do? Where do we go? How do we get a hold of it? Um, the other option is um, drawing near to God series at gmail.com. Okay. I will make sure that is in the description. Um, and then as I start to reformulate my website, I will, I will gladly make sure that it is uh, on my website. Um, I want to tell you what I tell everyone as I got my kids about to come in. Um, I want to tell you what I tell everyone that we are with you and not just God, but the Holy Spirit is with you, my brother. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, if you've been with us this entire time, I just want to thank you so much for the investment. You are worth it. I am so grateful to be able to provide content that is useful for you, that helps you in your walk with God. Uh, if you uh, have not signed up on Patreon, I highly recommend it. Uh, interviews are released much earlier on, on Patreon than they are on YouTube. I also have a lot of bonus content, polls. You can join a healing team, a biblical, biblical literacy team. I have lots of advantages if you decide to do Patreon. But more than anything, if you believe in this work, it is the best way to support me. I will see you next time, and I thank you.